Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Die Living Podcast brought to you by Softleet. Today we are joined once again by our distinguished guest, Mike Stedman from Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound USA. Uh, today we're going to be changing up a little bit and talking about personal goals again for 2018. So this is kind of a part two of the episode we did with George and Brooke earlier. We're going to talk uh, about Mike's personal goals Goals for Ironbound. Uh, Brent's here. He's gonna gonna share some words of wisdom with everyone. I don't know how much wisdom, but I'll share some. At least words. share some words, and yeah. uh, maybe I'll also share some words. That's so, where the wisdom comes in. I don't know. Just the age. Just old. Don't confuse oldness with wisdom. Dude, you're distinguished now. He's the distinguished one. Whatever. I live at home. Why is Mike the distinguished one? Well, doesn't everyone live at home? Yeah, I was going to have a joke, but that felt miserable. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't live at home. Yeah, That's a lie. Well, I mean, you live at your home. Yeah. It's not, not your parents' well, he home. he lives yeah. at work. All right. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, like today you can say distinguished because of like social media and stuff everybody posts, but you really have no idea like what people are doing day to day. You're pretty distinguished, man. Yeah. I mean... Listen, I'm going to throw on the knee pads and chapstick here for a second. But, I mean, <laughs> lip gloss. Put on the lip gloss. The lip gloss. Yeah. Maybe a little glittery apricot. Um, give a little tingle. A soft late rainbow party. Right. No, but all right. So Mike went to the Naval Academy, right? I did. Was an officer in the Marine Corps. I did. Has attended Stanford. To be fair, he was really bad at yeah. like most of the officer things. Yeah, I was. Right. I was. Walked around out in town in board shorts. I, That's a big no-no. He got I talked did. to one time. Yeah. We were at like lunch, and he was in gym attire still. And some other officer noticed that he had like an officer sticker on his car, and had a talking to with him. Yeah. Wow. So, and Mike didn't hurt him. What yeah. was the talking to? Uh, just professionalism. So you know, the way I like to say this thing is someone's always watching. So a lot of people don't realize, like being an officer. Um, living out in living in Jacksonville, particularly or a military base, you just can't do everything that other people do, right? So everything from like, well, they're real judgmental on like. So like, Mike was an infantry officer, which is a pretty counterculture to like special operations culture. Like you don't you don't call your officer in charge, bro, dude, or anything but sir. And like that guy doesn't really hang out with you on the weekends. Yeah, it's like a big separation between the enlisted and officers. So. The lower enlisted life form joke that I make to all of our officers in the company is like very true in typical military culture. Got it. It's so like I, Mike would literally just like step on his guys on the way into the office to let them know <laughs> they're beneath him. Like if there was a puddle or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Leg across this puddle. Anyway, not to derail Mike's distinguishedness. Yeah, but no, I mean, I got counseled about it. That's basically it. This guy was like, hey, your officer got to be aware. Can't be out in town like that. And I probably didn't help. Brent was enlisted also. So. Yeah, it was a lower enlisted life form. So, yeah, we uh, can't hang out. Yeah. yeah. Hanging out with the peasants. Yeah, yeah exactly. pretty much. Got it. All right. So anyway. Well, in any event. Yeah. 
NCAA champion, boxing champion. It's actually NCBA because NCAA NCAA got rid of college collegiate boxing as we know it in 1960. And so the National Collegiate Boxing Association um, was formed in the 1970s. And really boxing is a club sport, right? So we're still student athletes. We train. But the difference is that, like, we don't fall under NCBA. NCAA, you fall under NCBA, which is a part of USA Boxing, the National Amateur Boxing Association. Right, we need to circle back to that. <laughs> Three-time yeah. NCBA national champion, right? Yes, that light heavyweight. Is that for, right, for a weight class? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What's the white, light heavyweight weight uh, class? 175 pounds. All right. But I'm not know, 175 pounds anymore. He's like 230 now. Yeah. yeah. And it was bra. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> dis- distinguished, though. Yeah, well, that's not it. Also, Stanford Ignite graduate, right? That was yeah. only four weeks, though. So Stanford. Yeah, but Ignite. what's the acceptance rate? Is that a? I don't really know the numbers. Is on it that. low or is it high? Like, if you have a credit low, card and yeah. they let you in, or not? Okay, that okay, low. I'm somewhat distinguished. I'm right. Somewhat. A little bit distinguished. He's yes. like almost distinguished, or like, like like fairly distinguished. 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 Yeah. Almost better. there. I like that. Distinguished. All right, so I'm curious. You're a boxing history buff, we'll say. That's that's an understatement. But um, why did the NCAA get rid of boxing? So um, there was a boxing match. I want to say between University of Wisconsin, um, which was like one of the best boxing programs at the time. Also my alma mater. And uh, I want to say Westchester. Pennsylvania? Right? Um, yeah, Westchester okay. had a really strong boxing team for many years. Um, and in one of the competitions, one of the guys died. And so, I mean, it's like some Rocky Four shit. And people were already like, when you think about college educated people boxing, there was all this pushback already about like, oh, you're ruining them, you're ruining their brains, things like that. And so, um, like, boxing is a lot different than like football, right? So if you're, <laughs> if you're a top, uh, I'm talking about matchmaking for boxing. Oh, right, right, right. So when you talk about college, like, if you're a school that can't recruit the best boxers, and so now you just got to kind of have like walk ons or ragtags. But now you're going up with this really elite boxer. You could actually like die in the ring. Yeah, that's um, fair. Right. And so some of the powerhouse programs were basically just dominating these other programs. And, and, and like gets, literally killing kids. Yeah, it gets dang- it got dangerous. And so they needed to it just wasn't handled very well. And so that basically closed down college boxing. But then with NCBA, it came about. Um, and the difference was that you couldn't compete in CBA with only a certain number of fights. Right. So if you had like less than five fights, then um, you could compete in NCBA. If you had more than five, you had to get a waiver. But that way you still had everybody around the same level. Yeah. Compete with each other as right. opposed to like a guy with 100 fights fighting a guy with five fights. Right. Right. Um, um, what are what, your, what was the like, was there equipment change? Like people don't die in boxing today typically at the right. rate at which they used to. And is that an equipment thing? Like you guys are wearing better gloves now, headgear, et cetera. They didn't have in the sixties or like, uh, I'm, like you say sixties boxing and I'm picturing like two dudes with like leather mitts going at it, which I'm sure is totally off base, but I haven't watched much like sixties boxing. I really think it's much about like equipment as much as like, you just don't have as many people doing it anymore. Right. Back in the day, like there were boxing gyms everywhere. So you just walked off the street, said, I want to box. You could box. Okay. But nowadays, like there's more of like, it's a certain type of people, person that kind of goes into a boxing gym and it's just, like I said, it's just different. So you don't get as many, people don't go to an emergency room today for like a boxing injury. Most of the time it's for like football, basketball. Um, I mean, still, I mean, it's always been dangerous, but. Well, there's still the effect of like getting punched in the face. Right. Is not good for your brain. Right. It's pretty hard to argue against that fact. Yeah. So 
Um, that part of it kind of makes sense. I didn't know if like the NCAA was on the cutting edge of, you know, like TBI research mm. or anything like that, or they just realized they getting whacked in the noggin enough times was bad. I don't think so, they knew about that stuff in the sixties, man. Yeah. <clears throat> no, like I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't correlate like getting hit in the head to having brain like developmental issues down the line. I bet not. I mean, really? obviously you could die, but here's the interesting thing though. There's actually less concussions when you don't have head on. Than when you do, because really? you can't just soak up the punch. You can't just soak up the punch. Yeah. You got to move your head. You can't just go in there and have these wars. Because also, the only thing the headgear does, it doesn't limit concussions. What it does is it limits cutting, right? So like, oh, if you go into that. a tournament and you have five fights, right? If you got headgear on and you're doing five fights, right, you can make it to that fifth fight and potentially still be okay. But if you're going without like headgear and stuff, you really got to work on like slipping and moving. So you right. can't just get hit like you can. Um, and so actually USA boxing has adopted well, and no you could have a bunch of smaller concussions that you don't even like yeah. TBI can happen at a small grade a bunch of times. Right. I feel like they're just starting to figure out, you know, with like hockey players and football players. Right. You know, the fact that this stuff is, has, you know, as large of an impact as it does. I think back in the sixties, it was probably just, you know, like, don't be a pussy. Like, yeah, you know, I was curious too, if the, like, you know, coll- colleges had essentially realized, like, man, like half of our half the kids that end up boxing have cognitive issues, like in a you know close amount of time to that. If that you know had happened back then or not, obviously I wasn't around. So yeah, I don't know if they track that or not. And I think you got to remember too, like people that tend to box nowadays, especially like they don't go to most of them don't go to college, right? So like boxing at the Naval Academy, boxing in college, we're the exception, not the norm. Right. Yep. Um, that's a big history, though. Like, naval boxing is like... Yeah, it's pretty that, cool. That's a, a lot of history, a lot that, you know, comes behind that to where... Uh, have they talked about doing away with boxing at naval at Navy or... Because they, mean, they ended the Marine Corps boxing team for right. a number of years, right? Is yeah. It, and it's back now as a club? Yep, that's right. Yep. But they did talk about... Um, it's never really come in jeopardy at Navy, but there have been discussions, okay, especially when you talk about females... We're having a man take boxing, but they've been taking it for years at Navy. Right. They I just don't started at West that. Point. So in the military academy, they just started making all the cadets take boxing, including females. And there was a lot of pushback for that. And now people are like, oh, we don't want our women um, fighting like that. Really? Yeah. That's interesting to see That's the push weird. on that side because there's such a push. Granted, though, I feel like the push for women to be in combat jobs hasn't happened in the military like most of the women and there's there's some exceptions but most of the women in the military that i've talked to aren't like yeah i want to be a green beret or or an infantry person that happens but mm-hmm. um the big push that i you know sub- totally subjectively but uh the big push i saw was like political and and people that weren't going in the military you know they weren't the ones fighting for it sure but i would think that if you're going to be in the military regardless there's a high higher probability of you literally fighting for your life than being you know like if you're an accountant in the army the idea that you could be on an, a base in iraq afghanistan whatever war zone is happening that base gets overrun and now you're literally fighting for your life is a much greater potential than like the accountant in durham right yeah well, i don't know about durham but well i mean outside of durham like a <laughs> Another city in North Carolina, right? Um, not Jacksonville, 
in Jacksonville, you're pretty much guaranteed to fight if you're an accountant. Like one of your clients is just going to come in, suited up, ready to go. Let's get it on. Mike rings the bell. (laughs) Mike, what do you think about the, uh, like the emergence and popularity of MMA fighting? You know, I mean, it used to be obviously, you know, boxing was like the premier kind of personal combatant type sport. And then MMA came on the scene and really just kind of took over boxing. And I feel like it's only within the last couple of years with some of these like huge, you know, title card fights that we've seen kind of like this push to bring back, like, you know, boxing is kind of a preeminent. Well, there's a lot of corruption in boxing for years, right? That was what killed, killed it more than anything else. What makes UFC and MMA such pop, so popular is I want to say the organization like UFC itself, the president, Dana White, it's all the outside stuff that's ruining boxing. Boxing is its own biggest enemy, Mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, the pay-per-views, right? If you pay for a pay-per-view, you're really only getting one good fight. Now, you could stack a card and just have amazing fights all the way up, but the promoters want to make more money. So instead of having, like, this amazing just one card, they're going to spread it out over the next, like, six months. And so now you get to essentially watch pretty bad fights um, just to see that one. And that one might not even turn out to be anything. Yeah. Well, boxing is very... Uh, you'll get offended by this, but it's very one dimensional compared to MMA, right? Like it's two dudes slugging it out in MMA. Like the one dude might be an amazing boxer and like not an amazing wrestler or grappler, which those two things in themselves are, are totally different martial arts alone. So you get a, a really cool mix of like, okay, man, maybe like these dudes stuck, like really suck at boxing. They're going to get on the ground and beat the shit out oh, of each that's other. What, I mean, UFC one, that was the big thing, right? Like, yeah, Cle- well, like Cle- the, Gracie yeah. comes out. He's the smallest dude in the field or like close to it. And, and he, he's just fucking dudes up. Yeah. yeah. But you remember that was set up from the beginning though. Cause like the Gracie's were involved in setting up the UFC yep. one. So they already knew like, if you get a guy in a cage, you know, one-on-one like jujitsu is probably, because it's going to go to the ground. Well, right, and right. their brand, like their jujitsu doesn't involve like not punching. Like there's right. this weird misnomer out there that other people have where like jujitsu doesn't involve punching a dude in the face. And like the crazies will punch you in the face. Like they, it's, it's yeah, very for sure. Real. But if you go to look at that first, you know, UFC one, I mean, there were some like massive dudes in there, right? Oh, so, for sure. I mean, a lot of those even, dudes were just brawlers well, too. That's a, I mean, the wrestler guy, there was like that Greco-Roman wrestler. He was maybe like a wrestling coach. Ken Shamrock? No. no I don't know was, about. was he a UFC guy. one guy? Ken Shamrock? I know he was an old school UFC guy. I didn't think he went yeah, he back to UFC one. one. He lost. No shit. Yeah, he lost to... Um, I, I think what Dana White does really well too, from my understanding is he'll like, there's dudes that go into the UFC that don't put on a good fight. Like even if they're winning, it's just like, man, like you you're really lame to watch. Yeah. He'll pull those dudes out is my understanding. He'll go to them and be like, Hey man, you're like, you gotta, you gotta make this fun to watch as well. I feel like all the people arguing over fighting styles, like every fighting style has its purpose, right? If you're one-on-one and it's going to go to the ground, jujitsu wrestling is probably the best way to go. But if you have two, three, going to the ground is probably not the best well, you, idea. Yeah, you can't do it then. But even then, like, you, if you're, like, you take a dude who's a mediocre wrestler, like, like way better, he's going to destroy my world wrestling, right? But you put him in the ring with you, like, you're an amazing boxer, you're probably still going to just like demolish that dude, yeah. right? Like, like it still is a skill set to skill set thing where if like you have an, you're an amazing, like world-class boxer, this dude's a world-class wrestler. That would be a really interesting fight to watch. Like, okay, well, like which one's going to win? Of course, when he goes to shoot on you, if he takes you down, 
you basically become a wrestler at that yeah. point, right? Who can yeah. also punch. Training for life, I feel like MMA is probably the best way to go. Oh yeah, it's um, it's, it's a different sport than uh, right. than just boxing. When you start sport specific, obviously, then it's like different training protocols. So if you're actually training for the sport of boxing, I, but this is what I recommend. I'll tell you this though: MMA fighters that actually train boxing, like not in a boxing, not in an MMA gym, but like going to like a place a like boxing Newark gym, yeah, and going to a boxing gym and like going through the ringer. You put those guys on the mat or um, you put those guys against other guys that are training in an MMA gym as opposed to a boxing gym, they're going to demolish them all day. Oh, yeah. Because this is just different. It's a different intensity. It's a different skill set. Well, MMA, you get a weird... It's like the special forces or special operations like yeah. debate where it's like, oh, let's go learn this thing from a special operations dude. What you don't realize is he's probably not the best dude at that. Like The best shooter in the world probably never was in the military. It's like some dude who can shoot a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun super fast because like that is literally all he has done. Right. And he's MMA the, the is expert the, in that area. Right. Like MMA is the same way. Like you could be the best fighter as far as like you and grab another dude are going to go at it, but you're not going to be like the best boxer, the best like grappler, the best wrestler. You're just good enough at all of those things that you figure out where the dude across the ring isn't as good as you. And that's where you beat him. Right? Like that's the whole idea is you figure out what's his weakness compared to my strengths. And like, if he's a better boxer than you, you might like boxing might be your jam, but if he's a better boxer, and you're a slightly better wrestler, you're going to try to wrestle that dude. You know, you can apply it to like even y'all's training over here at SoFleet, right? Like how many people actually need a 500 pound back squat? Like all of them. Yeah. Like what is that really going to, all of the people operating though? Like what is that really going to do for you? Well, but that's not the goal. The, the strong back, strong posterior chain, et cetera, is the goal. Right. But you can, the thing is an MMA is much like this. Like you can't, you, you need a balance and your balance is dictated by whatever it is that you do. That's what I was tying to is like, do you need like as an MMA fighter, do you need like 50 boxing matches? No, no. Right. But does it make sense to probably get like, you know, four or five good amateur bouts just to kind of get that experience to get in there. Probably so. Some jujitsu tournaments, you know, absolutely. I, th- I think you see a lot of guys that do that. Like, so my last team commander was a really, really good wrestler. He wrestled at Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually ha- took a boxing match this summer. Um, I forget where it was, but he he tr- started to train in boxing and he'd been getting coached by just boxing coaches. And uh, he went and had uh, a boxing match. He lost uh on points, I think by decision or yeah. decision, however that ends up going for that match. But uh, it was cool to see him. Like you know, he's a he is not a dude that you want to fight, right? Like really good wrestler, decent boxer, etc. But he would go into like each of these individual um, matches and and compete, which is, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Like when we trained, uh, I like to compare boxing or combat sports to like shooting, right? So remember that shooter went to Dallas. It wasn't that Dallas. I want to say uh, when you went to that movie theater for The Dark Knight. Yeah, all these, Aurora, I don't know where you're going with this, but all Aurora, right. Aurora, Colorado. Yeah. yeah, in Colorado. Well, all these like keyboard words are like, oh, if I was there, I would have shot him and, you know, would have saved the day. But like how many people actually practice like pulling a gun on somebody in a low light situation? Not very many. You, right. Right. you practice it a lot, right? So that when that right. comes, that happens because you've gone through those emotions and the drilling dump already, you're better prepared for it, right? right. Same thing with boxing. Same. Like, yep. when you're in the ring for the first time or you're doing a combat sport for the first time and somebody over there is just trying to take you out, you're going to have an adrenaline dump. Well, there, there's also the, the external factor of... So I've shot... 
I don't know how many shooting matches and not to say that I'm an amazing match shooter, but I've, I have a lot of experience in shooting overall. Right. And I've been in plenty of fist fights. I guarantee you, well, I know for a fact, every shooting match that I'm in, I still get like the clammy palms. I still get nervous because there's the expectation of performance. So I guarantee for you, you've been in, I don't know how many boxing matches you've thrown hands with probably literally thousands of people. I guarantee you get in a ring and you still have like that jittery oh, yeah, all the time, man. I, you know, you're, there's a nervousness about it. But it's amazing when you see some people who I think are like in really good shape, they could even be doing MMA or, you know, jujitsu and be really good shape, but they get in the ring and it's just a different skill set. Totally different. And so they, they're, they're gassed like within the first round only because they haven't trained it. So, well, a lot of guys, so I noticed this in, in high school, I started training in uh, MMA, like literally there was a group of probably 15 of us that would train in this dude's basement. And some of those dudes were very legitimate, like competitive fighters, but we would go and and like spar at other gyms. And it wasn't like, there's, there's nobody even watching, but just the act that like, you're going to go to another gym, suit up and like spar with this dude. It was nerve wracking because you're like, all right, like not only is my coach watching, like all my friends are watching, all that dude's friends are watching yeah, and man. like don't want to screw it up. Right. Like it's the all ch- on the line, right? Yeah. And we weren't even I wouldn't even say I think I mean, this is a long time ago. I don't think we were even going at like full speed. Right. It was like a sparring thing where it's like, yo, don't kill each other. But we want to just, you know, get after a little bit. So there, but there was still a risk. Like you don't slip that punch that he thinks you're going to slip or, or at least try to move from, like you could be taking a nap on the mats and it was just a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, and partly because, you know, that opportunity only comes up, you know, in X amount of days or X amount of months. Right. So it's not like, Oh, yeah. if I fuck this one up, like do it again tomorrow or do it again later night. Like, right. Well, you, know, you don't even want to do that, right? Like, you don't want to go spar every day in the gym. No, but I'm just saying you don't. You can't go into it with this mental feeling of kind of like, oh, what, whatever. Today's no big deal because I exited today off the calendar and look at the. I got you know, thousand other days, right? Exactly know, in front of me to do this whenever I want. So, so I'm, I'm going to derail this uh, conversation from our original intent. But uh, do you feel that boxing prepared you for? This is, this is kind of a stretch here, but do you think boxing has prepared you for life in the civilian world? Like that inner, there's an interpersonal violence in combat sports. Like right. you're going to go punch a dude in the face. You're going to be all sweaty, like on another dude afterwards. You maybe shake hands, maybe you're pissed off and you don't, but do you feel that that prepared you for dealing with just people in general in the business world better than if you didn't have that experience of interpersonal violence? Or do you not really see that? Just them knowing that you could punch them in the no, face it's, at it's any No, it's more so the fact that like, so you've told people, you being Aaron, since people aren't watching me look at Aaron, Aaron has told people like, hey, fuck off. Like you're fired. Like, the, the, like they screwed something up. And you held them accountable for that action, which I've talked to other people that literally fight like they can't imagine telling somebody not even you're fired, like not even something that grave, but like a supplier screwed up an order. And they're like, man, I'm dreading like calling my supplier to tell them they screwed up this like hundred thousand dollar shipment to me. They like dread that little bit of conflict. Sure. Like you have the background of being like super blunt from the trading floor. Mike has that background. I don't think I've ever said "fuck off, you're fired" in like that succinct of a. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 but a like that's essentially what you're telling somebody. Mm. Like, if if they're an asshole and are fired with cause, can I? I can curse on our podcast, right? Yeah, I've been on it like we three have the times. Warning, so. So. 
But anyway, Mike, do you feel that like that interpersonal, not even violence, but just like being that personal with strangers on a very consistent basis has helped you in business or have you never thought of that before or what? Absolutely. I mean, it's, but it's, I kind of want to say it's like a little bit cliche though. Um, just cause like, I'm not afraid of interpersonal violence. So I think, but let's even take violence out of it. Like you're not afraid of interpersonal inter, like interactions where you're not comfortable, like un- being uncomfortable in that situation with another human being doesn't make you as uncomfortable because you've been exposed to it. Right. Is it a mean? violence thing or is it like a confidence thing? I think it's confidence. I think it's both. A mix. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely both. But where I was going was like people who have been in, in like violent sports, like taking out situ- the violent situations. Let's say mm-hmm. just sports, like people who have wrestled, played football. My mm-hmm. anecdotal observation is just that those people typically don't care as much when they have to tell a dude like, hey, man, like you're fucked up. Or, or, or yeah. the other way a lot of the time too, That's boxers true. and wrestlers may be a little different, but often I've seen like, especially f- like, contact sport team players take criticism way better than like the dude who never played any sports or like was never in that environment. Yeah. Well, I think that that's definitely true. How much of that is due to the team element and how much of it is due to, you know, the physical element, right? I think they go hand in hand though. Cause I don't, I have not noticed that as much from like, let's say soccer players or basketball players being like really like receptive to, you know, a harsh after action review of their actions. And this is just having like those dudes in teams in the past, people in the office working with other people. But if I knew a dude was, let's say a wrestler or uh, like a lacrosse player where it's a full contact sport that's kind of in the middle, they're used to afterwards having like the coach be like, man, you totally screwed this play up. But it's not malicious. It's like, this is how you fix it. You know, when that happens in the future, this is how you fix it. Right. No, I think, I think there's definitely an element of that. Um, one of the, <clears throat> well, what used to be at least like bigger and more famous, like day trading shops in New York only hired people with collegiate sport backgrounds. So it was like, doesn't matter how smart you are. I mean, you have to be smart. You have to have all this stuff, but you'd be the super MIT guy. If you didn't play sports at MIT, they probably didn't want to hire you. Right. And well, I don't even think that's what from was like the a, reasoning behind it. Do you know? Uh, I think that really that was one of their ways for kind of trying to select for traits for, of, you know, people that wouldn't freeze under like adversity essentially. Right. Right. That makes sense. Like, you know, shit's going against you all of a sudden. Like, what do you do? Do you just sit there and fucking stare at the screen and watch it get worse? Or can you, can you be in that situation and, you know, think at least somewhat clearly, all right, like, what do I have to do to get out of this? Yeah. Um, So where I was going with this is I have personally viewed like younger generations as having issues with those personal conflicts, right? Like, they're sensitive, whatever it is. Like this is people of my age, it's grown human beings. But if they, you know, if they have that background in physical contact, we'll just say whether that's sports, whatever it is, the anecdotal observation that we all kind of agree on is they're better suited to handle that stuff. Yeah. And since Mike is running a boxing program at a prep school, I was just curious if he had seen a difference between the boys in the prep school and their ability to interact with like other kids in the prep school or like go on to do great things, vice. Cause you've been there for what, three years now? Yeah, three years. 
do they have a better, you know, are those kids better set up for the future because of that vice the kids in school that are? Oh yeah, know? absolutely. A lot of my kids, like they didn't have any really self-confidence. So it's kind of going back to what you're talking about, Aaron, like they really weren't the guys that have been under pressure before because they weren't starting on their sports teams. You know, many of them weren't doing anything. Then you pull them in boxing. That's all of a sudden it's like, wait, I really do have toughness, you know, like yeah. I really well, and a team, right? Cause yeah. it's a boxing team. So they start just, finding out a lot of stuff about themselves. And so, yeah, their interaction, they seem just a lot more confident, a lot more sure of themselves. Right. Um, a lot more comfortable in their own skin. So yeah. I think it's something about, like, if you can get in a ring and fight or you can travel to another gym and hold your own. And, like, the crazy thing about Newark, this is a crazy thing about Newark, right? So as tough of a city as you think this is, right, Newark, Chicago, you go to these boxing gyms and guys are, like, dapping each other up. Hey, what's up, man? It's like, for whatever reason, in that space – Everyone's that's good. Every, every gym. I went and hung out with one of our sponsored yeah. pro MMA fighters. Mm -hmm. What's what's always funny to me is a, a lot of pro, like legitimately pro MMA fighters that I've met have a dead fish handshake because they're just super relaxed people and a lot of the time super nice people, like very like professional and nice isn't even the right word for it. You, you guys have experienced, but but See, like I think it's I think it's humility. Yeah, yeah it's super humble, right? right? Like you've been probably knocked out at some point yeah, in like their when life. You've gotten your ass kicked. I mean, even if you're the champion, like you know mm. that that is waiting out there. You know that there's a dude out there that could fucking whoop your ass. And if he's and, not there now, like he's somewhere is out there. Like exactly. Ten so, years younger than you or whatever. When, when you have that, even if you're really good at what you do, I think that that gives you a sense of humility and that's, you know, that, that goes hand in hand with that confidence, you know, like right. you have to balance the confidence. Hey, I know I can do this, but I also know that, you know, if I get cocky yeah. that it's going to fucking come back to me. Right. 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 So, and it's also where you like, when you see other people that are trying to do exactly what you're doing or are brave enough to like come to a sparring session or even walk in a gym, you know, then you give them some like credibility, like, yo man, what's up? Like, that's cool. So, right. Even if it's their day one, it's day that, one. Yeah. that was one thing I never understood, especially. So like I joined the military in a wartime, like signing up to go in the Marines in a combat job, then going to like recon and Marsa. Like, you know, at some point you're going to the two way gun range. But when I got to the like the teams and had a little bit of seniority, you would see some of the older dudes would always like always dog on the young guys. Not so much lately, but especially when I got there and then got a little like I was no longer the new guy. All of my peers were like, man, fuck these new guys. They're all pussies, whatever it was. And like, man, like that dude signed up to go to war like that should buy him something. You know what I mean? Whether, right. Like he's here, he's in the team. Why, why trash talk the dude that's trying to show up and play the game? Yeah. And it's probably the same thing in like a hard box, especially if the boxing gym has a reputation of being like a, a good place to go or, or a place that produces tough fighters. Like, you know, you're going to get punched in the face when you walk in there. That should buy you something on its own. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, <clears throat> and, you know, I obviously don't know how this works, but like, even if you pass the you know a selection process to go to one of these teams, right? Like getting to the team, you know, still kind of having to go through some kind of like, essentially like unofficial selection when you're there. Like those guys still have to trust you, right? Right. And <clears throat> you know you're kind of pre vetted, but you're still not, you're still the new guy. You still kind of need to like earn. No, your, you earn definitely your place, have right? to earn your, like, but that should be everybody in the team, right? Like if Mike starts showing up to coach his boxers and he's like hungover, 
can't can't do anything. He's like sure. sleeping in the office all the time or whatever it is, just being a total shitbag coach. Like he doesn't get to keep that place. And in my opinion, and I know in Mike's opinion, he shouldn't still be no, that. No, but guy. I, I mean, I I do think that <clears throat> there's room for something along the lines of like the new guy still has to kind of earn it a little bit. Oh, for mean, sure. That doesn't mean you got to treat him like shit, right? Or be fucking dogging on him all the time, but. You well, know. you got to give them a little mm-hmm. bit of shit. You got to give them a little shit. Yeah. yeah. But they still get in a boxing gym. I mean, like, but it comes down to like, okay, if you're new to the team, right? And especially like I'm a volunteer coach, so I'm picking you up. You better be coming to practice, right? right. So yeah. now all of a sudden you're like not coming to practice and you're coming and you're talking back and you're not working hard. Like, you know, at some point, if you're new to the sport and I'm teaching you everything, like teaching somebody to box is basically like teach them how to walk for the first time. Right. And all of a sudden they learn how to walk and now they think they know everything. Right. And like you don't have the experience for that yet. And so that's when you can push back a little bit and say, like, hey, man, you see these guys right here? They've been training with me for like the last three years. You've been training a week. So like tone it down. And then yeah. other kids see that stuff, too. So they hold them accountable. I mean, it's not it's nothing vicious, but it's just like, yo, you do have to earn your you know, you do have to earn your stripes. Right. Yeah. I actually. saw a YouTube video the other day where it was like the beginning boxer was doing like very light sparring with what was obviously a very experienced and good boxer and the beginning boxer stuck like way too hard of a, you know, a, a shot in there. And this experienced boxer basically, he didn't knock the dude out, but he's like, all right, man, like you want to stick me? You're going to get stuck a few times and just gave him like four real quick, left yeah. him hanging for a second. But you know, every once in a while you're going to need that in the, yeah. a sporting environment. Man, one of the places that I worked, <clears throat> there was this one senior dude, either, would call like he would only refer to me as princess or queenie for like the first five months that I was there until I hit like a basically like a certain metric. Right. Um he even stapled like a tutu to the back of my chair. It was a just what? like a tutu. Oh nice. <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean it was kinda like, all right, I guess this is what I gotta put up with to fucking get you know, get through this. Yeah. Be be on the team, be on you know, whatever fucking so be it but and you know it's one of those like if i had let it bother me you wouldn't make I'd it anyway about it well and you know i guarantee you that that never would have ended right like it would have been yep for sure would have been a fucking nickname forever yeah. so was it queenie or princess or both it was alternating okay it's like kids we do that to get a reaction out of you right that's why yeah. we never end so once they know that it pisses you off and that you can't handle it, they're going to keep going there. They're going to always go there. Oh, yeah. No, I think so. But, in, you know, thinking back to the, I guess, you know, humility and confidence, I was talking to Brent about this with my son, who <clears throat> we'd gotten a couple uh, phone calls from, you know, the administration office that, he, you know, hey, you know, your son, like, hit someone today in the hallway or whatever. And, you know, pulled him aside and was like, hey, man. I know, I know you think you can do this with no repercussions right now, but one day you're going to do this to the wrong kid and he's going to turn around and clean your clock and it's not going to be so cool. And, uh, you know, Brent was like, man, honestly, that's probably better to happen now when he's like six than, you know, him develop this and go on to high school and kind of still have, I don't think he really has an attitude. You guys met him. He's not like a, a total. Yeah cocky piece of shit but no just uh you know a little loose sometimes is he still he does jujitsu though right no he stopped doing jujitsu he uh 
was constantly getting in trouble at jujitsu, and he just he was like, "Man, I don't want to go. I don't want to go." Does he so, like it? Well, he really likes that. He, I don't think he ever liked jujitsu, but what he did really like was this like American Ninja Warrior gym. So now he's doing that like three days a week, it's where monkeying around. Just, like, yeah, you know, like climbing shit. You know, yeah. it's like jumping on stuff. I think, I think for him, he doesn't have the. Jiu-Jitsu was like maybe too disciplined. And I was hoping that that was what we'd get by taking him there was like kind of, you know, forging that. I think what happened was, you know, in the class setting with all these other kids, basically he was getting like put in timeout and he probably, I think if we'd go back there, he either needs to be older or we'd need to do kind of maybe something that's like a little bit more one-on-one or something like that where. Man, you might just need to find a new gym. Cause I did uh wrestling I started when I was like four or five. I didn't, I wish I would have continued with it, but when we like moved around, I didn't continue. But I remember the first wrestling place that I went to the coach, like I thought he didn't know, like looking back, you could be like either that dude didn't know what he was doing or he definitely did. Cause we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of structure. Like it was basically like partner up and like yeah. wrestle the shit out of each other. And then he would show like you would do that first. Yeah. And then he would show you like a few moves and then you'd go back and like try those moves on each other. But he basically like looking back, I have no idea his thought process, but I'm assuming he's just like, man, I'm going to get these kids like tired as shit by wrestling each other for an hour. And then the last yeah. like half hour, I'll teach him a little bit. Yeah. That might be more of the, the style that he needs. Yeah. So. Exactly. boxing. Yeah. You might like it. I mean, we say that so you can say no, right? The fact is once you really start boxing, you really don't really want to fight outside the gym. Because mm-hmm. why? Because you know you're. Well, gonna, Eli doesn't really get into fights like he's that. Not really a fighter. Just it's like a high like, energy he'll get, kid. He'll get frustrated about yeah. something, or you know. But he's he's definitely not like an aggressive kid. Mm. But um, no, Mike, you're absolutely right. Like you see kids that, like a lot of the you know legit badass little kids that are doing jujitsu or boxing or whatever, they're not going to end up getting into fights. No, well, that goes back to that humility thing, man. They yeah. don't, you know, they don't have anything to prove to someone on the playground. Yeah. Right. Right. And they have the confidence. So when somebody's like, your hair looks funny or like what your backpack's stupid, yeah. they're just like, whatever, man. And plus if you're a good coach, you'll tell the kids like, Hey, this comes at a cost, right? If you're here, you only use it in here. Like we don't use it right. out there. And if they like buy in and they really like it, they don't want to jeopardize that. Yep. Yep. For sure. But totally. it, so the other thing is I went to a Kempo karate thing. This was like seven or eight year old Brent. And I hated Kempo karate because the teacher literally had like a checklist clipboard. And so it'd be like, you're doing a jab. And like everybody would do a jab and he would check this clipboard off. Yeah. You're doing like a roundhouse, like whatever it was. Right. I was yeah. like, man, this is super lame. I did not dig that whatsoever. Too structured. Yeah. It was like too structured. Yeah. Well, We'll find, we'll keep going. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I think that, uh, yeah, there's like a border collie element to it. Just needs to get, some get energy that energy out. released. Yeah, for sure. Some of my so. kids get frustrated with my methods. Not super frustrated, but just some what, that don't What are understand. your methods, like, though? What? I've never actually seen you teach So when boxing. I first start getting the kid to come to the gym, remember, I'm a volunteer coach. Me and Aaron right. having this whole conversation about time, how important time is. So I give like two and a half hours of my day every day to coach kids in boxing. So when they first come in the gym, you work with them, but you do need to make them work a little bit, right? Because like taking a kid from like zero to hero is a lot of work. So like most of the old timers in the gym, they won't even look at a kid until he like knows what he's doing. Right. Then they'll kind of stand up and like start working with them. But when a kid first comes in, you got to teach them how to step, throw a jab. Like that's the not fun stuff. 
Right, but it's the you have to do it. Right. Well, a lot of these right? kids, you have to show like yeah. this is how you stand athletically yeah. and like just just take a step the right way. Like people yeah. don't know how to do that. So I make kids work before I start working with them. Right, so you come to the gym, I'll teach you a few punches, and then you got to learn how to work on your own. So it's like, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to throw jab. Work on this jab for like 20 minutes. I'm gonna go hold mitts for this. I'm gonna go work with these guys and. The kids that only want to come like one day and then disappear, right? Then like they're probably not going to have a coach assigned to them. But that kid that's coming like every day, every day, you give him a little bit more and go away. You give him a little bit more, go away. But then as he's starting to like develop it on his own and then he starts coming in the mix, you know? So right. What I noticed in Newark is that you have some kids that are like, like I have some really good kids that I've trained from the beginning, but they just like to come and go whenever they want. And when they come, they want to be treated like the man, right? But I'm like, I'm working with this guy. Like, I can't. Right, even if he's not as good, yeah. he's here every day. Exactly. And yeah. if, you, if you take some time off, that's fine. But just understand you're going to have to come in and string some consistent, like a week or two together before, you know, you really get my attention again. Is that every day or three days a week? Or what's the split? Uh, we're open five days a week. So okay. the only day we're not open is a month. We're not open on Mondays and Sundays. Gotcha. So... We used to do, when I first started in that, in that dude's basement in high school, when you first started with him, your your first month, you didn't hit a focus mitt. Like, you didn't throw a punch at speed for a month. And it was Tuesdays, Thursdays. You basically had to come every Tuesday, Thursday, unless you had some crazy good reason, for a month. And then you would start hitting, like, focus mitts. And then, you know, like, six, six nine months into it, you'd actually start, like, sparring and all that stuff. But he would give us homework of, like, shadow boxing in the mirror mm -hmm. and all that. So you just got to be proactive. That's what that's why I like that method is you, know, you got to come in and I tell them you got to seek the coaches out. Right. Like you're there. Pull me. Hey, coach, work with me. No, you're not ready yet. Hey, next day, coach, work with me. You're not ready yet. And then they just keep driving. And then once you see they're serious, now you're willing to give your time. Right. But what you hate is when you like train a guy for three months, you get him good and then he disappears. And now you're like, it takes a lot, man. People don't understand how much it takes to get these kids up to. So there's a lot of like life lessons in that. Well, you have to build in so much too, because you're not taking like an athletic dude nope. with a background and all this other stuff and be like, okay, cool, I'm gonna turn you into a boxer. You're taking some kid that you're like, man, like you literally just sat around and hung out or maybe like dabbled in some sports, like playing basketball after school or soccer or whatever. And now you're trying to turn him into a like an athlete first, give him a base of strength, and then mm. teach him how to throw a punch and dodge a punch. Yeah. It's a it's a process. But it's re it's rewarding that when kids get it, like, and they understand, like, they understand you as a coach, and so they understand the value of your time. So, like, not skipping practice if they are. Like, one of the things I had early on was that, like, guys would just not show up, and I would get frustrated with it. But then over time they learn, hey, I don't care if you go, like, get tutoring or something like that. That's fine. Just give me a heads up about it. And so they would be more right. proactive about reaching out. Hey, coach, I'm going to this at this day. Or if they're not coming to the gym, I get a text. But that was a – people don't understand. That was a process to get them to do that. When you have new kids come in that aren't being consistent, are you kind of like, are you chasing them down at all? Or is it more just kind of, hey, man, you know, right. you, you choose you choose your path if you want to come and If and I have to me. chase them down, most of the time, they're not they're not the ones for me. Yeah. Um, I give, I mean, I make it easy for them, right? Like, they don't have to pay anything. Like, we pay out of pocket. We cover their registration fees for USA Boxing. We get them their membership card. Um, but other than that, like, I'm not... How, how long does it take to get a kid registered and all that? Is that like day one they walk in and you're like, yep, registered, you know? Nah, I It depends. I take them, I give them about a month or two, right, to see how serious they are. And then you go ahead and get them registered. Because you want to, the thing is when a kid comes to the gym and he's looking at the gym, I'm like make him work out that day. Like even if he right. has jeans on or whatever, he's like, hey, what? how do I join? I was like, go grab a jump rope. 
Yep. Because if you push them away, they might not come back. I hate right? jumping rope. So you get them to work out like right then. Um, when they show that they want to, when they want to compete, and they show that they want to train to compete, and they want to spar, then I get them the USA Boxing membership. Okay. Do you have kids that come in that don't want to compete? Like they're cool to spar, but they're like, man, I don't really want to get into a boxing ring. Um, some do, but then they really don't stay. So like we named our gym the Ironbound Boxing Academy, um, because we train there. Like we don't work out. Like this isn't like cardio, kickboxing. Right, We're right. There to yep. train and. I think there is something about, even if you're not going to fight, but that kid thinks he's going to fight, right? There's a different approach to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you have the heavyweight kid who's there for fitness, right? But I got him thinking he's going to fight, yeah. right? That so makes he's sense. coming every way, you know, putting on, getting his work in because he's like 300 pounds. But if he's focusing on that fight and he's thinking that he's going to be put under pressure, he's going to work that much harder. Well, and he's got another external motivation factor aside from like, man, I got to get in shape, man. The ultimate goal is to have a, a. I want every kid to come through our door to have at least one boxing match, just so they can have that on their rec. Like the legacy of the Ironbound Boxing Academy is that, like, when you go somewhere and you tell people you used to train boxing or you used to do boxing, you're gonna look. You're gonna be legit, right? You're not right. like this cart. Like I said, cardio kickboxing. Like, yeah, yeah. you are. A That's boxer. more like me, like yeah. doing Thai bow and shit. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Zumba box. Yeah, exactly. So how many how many kids do you think you've turned into? Like a kid that could be like, yeah, I used to box in three years. Mm, probably 15 to 20. Legitimate. I know for me personally. And how many do you think you, you, you guys have touched? Like kids who showed up in the gym and, and gone one day of like training and then taken off. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough question. Probably upwards is over 70, I guess. But right now, I mean, I've been posting that, a lot of videos. And that's all in Newark, too. Yeah, I've been posting videos on my social media and stuff. But the gym's been buzzing lately. So we've been having, like, upwards of, like, 30 kids come through the gym on a given day. Are you guys open tomorrow? Um, we are. So, so while I'm here visiting Soul Fleet, I send kids to the gym in an Uber. Yeah, man. Oh, you haven't been up there, have you? I haven't. No, I've never been up there. It's going to be cool. I feel pretty shitty about having never been up there until <clears throat> tomorrow. Yeah, no, that'll be cool. Be sick. Yeah, it'd be good to check it out. You get to see the finished I'm product. Box Mike. That's probably a bad idea. <laughs> when we were up there, Derek had uh, one of Mike's kids punch him like as hard as he could in the face. He's like, I just need to feel it again. Yeah. Did he knock Derek out? <laughs> no, nah, he held it back a little bit. But yeah, I got the videos. It was a good time. That would have been classic. <laughs> he just like knocked Derek out. Dude, he cold. was looking like, at. Oh, he shoot. was looking at Mike. Mike was like. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. But it's like, a, like a 16 year old kid can throw a punch. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a good, it was, it was a good a solid punch. one. It was a yeah. solid punch. Yeah. Hit him good. Hit him good. Right on the jaw. The, the technical description. Everybody yeah. thinks I a think headshot's the worst. The worst shot is a body shot. shot. Dude, I, like if you get my solar, like my, my, uh, stomach solar plexus, right? Yeah. yeah. Dude, if you hit that, I'm just like crumble, like yeah. knock the wind out of you. <laughs> Dude, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. So goal, that, goals for you for – that was actually supposed to be the point of this podcast was goals for 2018, but Ironbound goals, Mike Stedman goals. Do you want yeah. to do that on a different podcast? No, or we, can, we can transition to that. I mean – I wanted to talk about the sweet science since, you know, Mike says boxing is not dead yet. Right. Yeah, do you still use that hashtag? No, I need to bring it back, though. You got to bring it back, yeah. yeah. You just so, never learned to fight. Right. Um, yeah. Goals, 2018. Let's do it. Yeah, so we, let's say you've made 15 kids in three years into real boxers. Are you trying to up that number? 
personally? Are you trying to get more kids into Ironbound? I think we're trying to get more kids into recreational programs in general. Period. Period. We're trying to get as many, we're trying to impact as many kids as we can through the Ironbound brand as possible, right? So just getting them off the streets and getting them- Some positivity. Some positivity. I think a personal goal for mine is like, honestly, I feel like you hear people say this all the time, you have everything you need, right? If you're somebody at home right now and you want to start something, you really have everything you need, but it's just about like being organized, you know, planning, like, you know, working on yourself, like knowing your strengths and weaknesses right? and, and what's going to hold you back. So for me, you know, my personal goal is just continue to identify my strengths and also really bring up those weaknesses. So like, or like now that I'm trying to impact more kids, right? If I'm going to impact, like right now, like I said, we got 25 plus 30 kids at the gym, right? If we're going to have a hundred, you know, if we're going to have a thousand spread out all over the city, I got to up my game and be well, able to like track that. How many kids do you think you could have boxing out of your location now? A hundred? Potentially, yeah. Yeah. At, so at like one time you could have 10, 10, 20 kids in there pretty easily. Yeah. I think our max, like really when the gym was packed with like 30, I think that's like our max at one time. Um, I mean, it's, we got a little it's room. It's a pretty good number. That's a, I mean, that's a solid number. That's a lot that of space. kids in there. Like if you think of a, a regular gym, like the gym we used to own, you couldn't have more than right. 20, 25 people in there working out and 20 or 25 people. That place was cramped. So, but if you have it where it's like flowing through, right. like an ideal day for me is like where like. 50 to 60 come through the space on like a day. Right. Um, and so it's, it's pretty impressive to see because I was there when there was nobody there. Like when Sophie did that video, we hadn't opened yet and we brought the kids. We were the, I mean, it was my kids I was training. Right. So it was, it was my internal kids. Yeah. So I would go open the gym every day at like four o'clock and sometimes I would just be there by myself. But now to know, like if I don't go to that gym and open it, there's some kids, some kids outside. waiting outside. Yeah. And so that's like the motivating factor for like, you know, making sure that, you know, it's accessible. Do you ever just throw them for a loop and you're like, not today, kids. Sit there and wait. Um, <laughs> I've been working on that. Gotcha Honestly, like, that consistency piece is huge. Oh, yeah. That's how we grew the numbers. I just I came back from Stanford this summer. I was like, I'm going to be at the gym every day at 4 o'clock. Does somebody I, open it if you're not there? Like, yeah, do you have like mine a, in the store. We got somebody now. Yeah, the yeah. city actually gave us a, somebody to watch the gym. So That's he's there as a awesome. representative for the city. Well, so Newark, is it Newark or Newark? It's Newark. Newark. Newark is super supportive of Ironbound, right? Like they yeah. give you the space, they, you know, promote for you within the community or live, yeah. at least give you carte blanche to kind of Yeah, giving us a space and, was huge because I'm, oh, I'm yeah. not, like they have this saying, like unless you're born in Newark, you can't be from Newark. So like people were actually pretty pissed that like within my first two years there, like who the hell is this guy? How does he get a space for a gym? Because you got a lot of old timers, right. but they'll never have a gym, right? They'll just be like, you know, it's like whenever you look at a boxing gym, you see the old trainer in there. You think he owns a gym. He doesn't own the gym. He has some backer behind him or somebody who owns the gym. Yeah. And then, but the the old time will go around telling everybody that that's his gym and this and that, but that's not the case. And so, you know, for me to come in at such a young age, roll into the city and then get a gym, there was a lot of pushback by that. But the thing was like from the boxing community though. Yeah. From the boxing community. Is that changed now? Are they cool um, with it or they still have some animosity or what? <laughs> There's still some animosity from some of them, right. uh, but like one thing I learned is you should just outwork people, you know. And my business, you know, my business partner Gary Bloor, he says like we both agree that like um, the best thing you can do is just outwork them. You're talking, we're working. Yeah, just show so them your success. They're hating on us, and we got kids coming out the wazoo. Yeah, to man. me, that's so hard to hate on. Though it's like, man, I really hate that you 
don't charge these kids to teach them a life skill and give them confidence. Right. Like, Fuck that nonprofit working for our community. Right. Like, it doesn't make sense. It. You got to think about this, though. Some people get paid to do their jobs, right? And I'm a volunteer. Right. Right. And we do our job better than you do. And we get more kids than you do. Right. So I'm making your job. I'm, be, I'm essentially you're you're making people up their own game. And right. some people are comfortable with the status quo. Oh, 100%. Yep. yep definitely. You're, so you're ruffling feathers locally. Yeah. But are, are the, the community overall, are they supportive outside oh, yeah. of the city, like the actual people? Yeah, super supportive. Um, there's a lot of good kids. I'm telling you, there's a lot of good kids in the city. Right. They just need they need some direction because some of them don't have, like, anything, right? Yeah. I had a kid walk in the gym one day and was like, hey, coach, you got a granola bar I can have. And I didn't have any food on me. But just because of my job at Benedict's, like, when kids ask those questions, you start to, like, pry, you know? Right. So you, my you're next like, question, there's a reason he's my asking. My next question was, like, did you eat anything today? He's like, no. Nah. I was like, did you eat anything yesterday? He was like, he didn't, he didn't. And so after that, I found out, basically I found out the kid was homeless. His parents has got evicted. Um, and so this kid hadn't eaten anything. Right. And so luckily through my connection with St. Benedict's and the headmaster, we were able to move him into St. Benedict's. Was and he a uh, student there already? He wasn't. No, you just moved him in. You're like, you yep. go to school here now. Yep. Nice. And, uh, cause I played one, I don't play many cards, but I went to the headmaster and, uh, you know, he was staying at Gary's house. He was sleeping on Gary's couch after we found out he was homeless. And I said, uh, I'm one of those guys, I like to self-start things. Like, if I do a gym, I'm not going to ask you for money. We're going to do it ourselves. And then you'll ask for money. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, I hadn't played any cards there. He knows what I'm about. And right. I got supported to do it. So, Benedict's accepted him, and he lives in the residence hall with me now. And uh, just a great kid, but... You know, you can see how that could go sideways, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Was he living with his parents? Or? He was. And so his parents were still evicted, so they weren't living anywhere. They're just kind like of... Like out of a car or like living you know, outside or like, what? I think they were staying at a, a church. Okay. Um, I've got kids in the house now whose parents live in shelters. I mean, all kind of stuff. I get all kind of calls. How, how many kids live at Benedict's with you? 75. 75. Okay. Yeah. So I'll get a call from like the counselor. He'll say, hey, this kid's getting evicted. Um, you got room in the house and I'll make room. We make room. That's what we do. Um, but the, and, and to be clear, you require a lot. Did you guys talk about this yesterday? Mm, Mike and I talked about this a, a, a good bit, but you guys require a lot of those kids, right? Like they have to attend class. They have to maintain yeah. certain work ethic in order to stick around. Yeah. It's like, so when you, Newark public schools is pretty terrible, right? So if you have a kid that like has been in public schools, his grades and all that kind of stuff, he's going to struggle, right? He might fail every class. Right. But if his grades are sucking, then his behavior needs to go up, right? right? And if his behavior is sucking, then his grades need to go up, right? But it can't be like your grades suck, your behavior sucks, now you're just stagnant. You have to be worth your bullshit is what yeah, I tell so people. Ba- yeah. Basically. I like that yeah. one. Yeah, you got to be worth your bullshit. Like if you're going to be really hard to deal with, like you better produce some badass results. But yeah. if, you, and if you're like producing badass results, I'll probably tolerate more of your bullshit, you right. know? Plus, if you've never had structure and you move in with me and, and the staff at Benedict's, and all of a sudden it's like, I got this guy who's checking on me. Man, I got to do study hall. He comes do, by my room. Do those kids think that you're like the asshole father I'm the figure? Asshole. I'm or, absolutely. So asshole. you're not like the cool uncle. You're like the asshole dad. I like, I'm, I'm like the Marine Corps, right? Uh, no better friend, no worse enemy. Okay. Right? So once yeah. you get on my good, like they know, right? If you're doing what you're supposed to, I'll like been, I'll take care of, do whatever I can to help support you. If that means getting you registered, that right. means sending you to a college camp, calling some buddies, right? Then I'll go do all that kind of stuff. But if you're like hurting the flock, 
right? Which is like all 75 and you're a cancer to the house. Then at that point, I have to look out for the group and not right, just right, individuals. Right. And so I think sometimes when people try to come work in an urban area, they try to save everybody, right? You're like, oh, we're going to save. The fact of the matter is you can't. No, I mean, right. people are going to be who they're going to be, right? Like, yeah. if you're you're an asshole and you're not going to change, you're always going to be an asshole, right. whether you're, like, six or 60. Stereotypical yeah. movie of, like, the white chick that moves to, like, the, the urban school and yeah. yeah, she's not ready for it, but in the end, she, like, saves the kid. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, like, half the 80s and 90s yeah. films out there. That shit doesn't happen in real life. The kids no. will all agree I'm an asshole. Every time a conflict <laughs> happens in the house, like, I had a kid put his hands on me. Um, like, oh, what was he thinking? He, I had his cell phone, and he was like, I want my cell phone back. I was like, there's no way you're getting your cell phone back. And he thought by escalating it that I was going to give in because they're so used to, like, parents giving in. But, like, that's the thing you asked me before about, you know, military and the boxing. Right. Like, the thing is, I'm. If it, what's the worst that happens? If a kid punches me, what does that do? Right. Like, I'm not going to hit him back. You know, if I got to go to the ground, what's happening? Like, it's well, not going to say the world. You're not going to punch a kid, but you can ball a kid up. Ah, you know, it's just, you got to be careful these days with all that kind of stuff. Cause all it takes is like, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat, you know, yeah. the parents. And so for the best thing I do with that stuff is just like, I'm just relentless. Like, listen, I'm not giving you the cell. There's no way you're getting the cell phone back. Or if I take your cell phone or like I tell you to do something, I'm not letting it go until it gets done. It's right. not like, oh yeah. yeah, I asked you to do this and you didn't do it. So, you know, fuck me. Nah, like it's happening. Well, I think too, like, Today's society, people have a short version of time, right? Like you're on, you're on timeout for your cell phone for a half hour. Oh yeah. Dude, when, when I was in the school of infantry, cell phones had just become like one of those things where like everybody had a cell phone, right? And like, we still had pay phones. A lot of us would like use the pay phone instead of our prepaid minutes on our phones if we had phones. But so the, somebody got caught like in on a shooting range, like texting or something stupid. Like you get treated like total piece of shit in the school of infantry. And they're like, we're taking everybody's phones for the rest of the course. And people are like, man, there's no way they're taking our phones for like two months. Like you have weekends off and shit. Like if a few of the weekends are off. Yeah. And they literally like took everybody's phones, the Marine Corps, and like locked them in a locker. And dudes were freaking out. Like, what do I do without a phone? But what I'm getting at is like Mike takes that to like Benedict's prepped where. Oh, yeah. They're not ready. They weren't no, ready they're like, it. oh, my parents like yeah. used to take my phone or my Xbox for like a day or a week. And yeah. he's probably like, no, nah, like this is mine until you do what I said you do. Right. You know what they do? They have burner phones now. So like I have a box of phones because they just know like the, the gravity of the offense. Like if you do something real bad, like and you come ask me for something back, I'm like, don't talk to me. Right. Like. <laughs> You're right. Like they'll do bloody murder. And then like an hour later, like ask for forgiveness. Right. I'm just like, dude, like you're not getting your phone back. Um, So I hold it for like weeks, months, and they just, they never come back and get it. They just go get another burner phone anyway. Right. So that's pretty funny. Because I was thinking, I was like, man, like if I had a Mike Stedman when I, because I was a shithead in high school, when I, when I started doing MMA was one of the like changing points of like, oh, okay, cool. Like now I have something, a good outlet. Um, not, not that I had like a bad upbringing in the least bit, but when you have somebody that's a role model like, man, that's like a cool motherfucker. Like that can be a life changing thing. If I, if I had a Mike Stedman, I would assume that those kids would be like, man, that's a cool motherfucker, but apparently not. He's just an asshole. And you're still going to do dumb shit as a kid. Oh, for sure. But you at least like. I was like, I was curious what the interactions were like if they were like, man, I want to be like, be like Mike Stedman or if they were like, man, Mike's going to fuck me up if I don't do this, you know, like, or, you know, what gave me credibility, you know what yeah, gave me probably. credibility is when I got a girlfriend. 
Because at first, when you're living in a house with a bunch of teenage boys, they're like, you're a loser, you know? Yeah. Um, and then as soon as my girlfriend, Paris, um, so I started dating her, they're like, man, we got to get like Mike. Like, he must he must not be too bad. He's doing something, <laughs> He's right? He's doing something, right? And yeah. so, you know, she actually works there with us in the residence hall now. Oh, she does now? Yeah, so okay. me and her basically run the residence hall. That's cool. Very That's cool. cool. How does she like it, man? Uh, she likes it a lot. We like the impact of it, right? So, like, there's other jobs you can do, obviously, and make more money. But the thing is, like, I really like working with people. Right. And she likes working with people, too. And it's just, when you take a kid who has, like, zero self-confidence, is not talking, now all of a sudden he's just, like, this jovial kid who comes to you for stuff like that. Like, it's pretty rewarding. Now, it's a pain in the ass sometimes with the kids just because they're, like, Cause they're kids. I'm there with them all the time. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, you can't help get a little emotional. Well, plus you, you get to smack them with focus mitts and stuff, oh, too, right? Like, yeah. when you're like, man, I'm frustrated with this kid. I'm just going to smack the shit out of him with a focus yeah. mitt while we're boxing. Like, <laughs> most, super, most teachers can't do that. You have to be super aware, though. You got to be really self-aware because they follow your Instagram. Oh, you know, yeah. They I'm look sure, you man. up. Oh, yeah. So, like... That's why, you know, we talk about authentic. You really, really have to be authentic for a job you're real, like that. You're a real role model. Yeah, like full time. So I, I'm pretty cognizant about like I got kids watching me. So what I post on social media and stuff, I try to also use it as like a teaching tool. So I post books and stuff like that. And uh, the kids are the kids are watching because they I get most I get a lot of referrals for the gym from Instagram. Do you hashtag Newark and you do you hashtag like Brick City I and stuff like that? You can't say Newark. Newark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. hashtag Newark. Yeah, kids just hit me up out the blue. I'm gonna get yeah. mugged when I first get there. Yeah. But he said Newark, get him. That's the guy. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think when we're talking about like urban areas, people are doing it the wrong way, right? Like kids are on Instagram, right? So if you're an adult trying to like affect kids' lives, like they're there all the time, right? So well, like, I always love people that talk about like changing urban environments or changing any environment, and they've never been to said environment, right? Yeah. Like you can't change Newark if you don't live there, if you're not there doing stuff. You be there like every day yeah exactly yeah. you got to be there every day for a while just to like get a foot in the yeah. door so that the old angry boxing coach isn't yeah. like man screw this guy he already got a gym well yeah. you know what i had to do to get to help protect us too we have this guy named uh, keith cologne and uh keith is ex-con but real active in the community but he's a like he's a bad motherfucker and so he hears, like, he, the it's streets even, talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So he's like, he can tell me when somebody's bullshitting me or when somebody's not real. And people are, like, legitimately scared of Keith. But, like, man, let me tell you, he's a pit bull, man. And, like, this is what I'm saying about Newark that's trippy. Is like, here's this ex-con guy, like, just fucking badass guy. His kid boxes with us, and he's awesome. And yet, as tough as Keith is, right, come Thanksgiving when I was there working, like, he comes by the house, brings me food. You know, stuff like that. So it's like right. the image that people produce that aren't from there, like it's really not true to like how it is. So no, well, like those those environments where people are people are closer in those environments yeah. than like the suburbs, right? Like when you're all crammed on top of each other, you know, you gotta worry about like safety in the community. It brings the people together in a way that you don't see living in like suburbia or somewhere that's just yeah. like I guess I'm always that amazed. Yeah, I'm always amazed at that. And I like to, what I try to do is like tell those stories because a lot of people don't know. You see a guy well, like that. You he, you grew up, you didn't grow up in like the inner city, right? No, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in the South. Yeah, it was like the in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I had a single parent mother and a lot of my friends just in the environment I grew up in, like nobody had two parent homes. So you saw a lot right. of overlapping with people growing up with their grandmas, their aunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom was smart though because uh, even though she didn't make a lot of money, she always tried to put us in like an apartment building in one of the nicest 
anxious areas of town just so that way I could go outside and play and do all those things and not have to worry about right. craziness. And so what that did was I think it like kept me out of trouble, but, you know, it was challenged like going back and forth between those communities. But now that I'm older and like, you know, I have a better understanding of it. And so that's the whole purpose of like this social stuff is really trying to give back in the way I know how. So, so how, uh, like Newark is in the news a lot as one of the, you know, more dangerous cities in America. Do you guys inter- end up interacting with, you know, like gangs or, or like neighborhoods that you don't, most people don't go into? Like what's your, or, or does your, what's your convict buddy's name? Uh, Keith. Keith. Yeah. Or does Keith, is he like your dude that they're like, man, Keith said these dudes are legit. We don't talk to him. We don't mess with yeah, them. He or, tells you, I mean, he tells you like everything. I mean, I checked the news. The thing is like, I'm a black male, right? So, like, I don't stand out as much in Newark so I can move around, right. you know? Because um, Newark's, like, 90% black and Latino. Yeah. Um, what about so, Gary? People mess with Gary? Is Gary white? They think Gary's a police. That's what Keith says. Really? Right? Yeah. yeah. So, when I, uh, they used to think we both were the police, right? Because when I first moved to Newark, I had, like, a clean cut, shaven haircut. And everybody in Newark's got, like, dreads or no twist part. or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, Keith would tell us, I'm like, yo, why do people not mess with us, you know? He's like, oh, they think y'all are the police. So, like, Gary actually lives in Newark. He lives on the edge of town, a place called Irvington, which is, like, one of the roughest parts of Newark. Really? And, yeah, and people don't bother him because, again, like. I think he's a cop. The feds moved in. That's awesome. <laughs> Gary's awesome, man. I wish we could have him on the podcast as well. Yeah. We'll have to uh, figure out a way to do that. Yeah. Y'all get mobile. Y'all will he be around it. tomorrow? Um, He will. Maybe. He'll That'd be, be cool. Around. I uh, So, there's a burrito place in, like, the worst neighborhood in Phoenix. Like this place has legitimately has like dirt floors. I'm sure they were concrete, but at this point it's just like dirt on the floors and everybody in there is like a is Hispanic, the right word, Latino, whatever you want to call it. Like everybody in there looks like, you know, a gangbanger, right? I don't know if they are or not, but like face tats, like right. everything. And I'll cruise in there. My buddy who showed me the place is like, you know, from the nice part of town, always in a polo shirt. He looks like the quintessential cop. And every time we walk in there to get a burrito, it's like the music stops, you know, like everybody stops what they're doing, like watches us buy a burrito and then like leave. Yeah. They immediately like, who are these guys? It's got to be the cops walking in, but nobody messes with us. So no, we get in and out of there. I think it's like, uh, I mean, most places, my experience from Chicago, Yeah, it's kind of like, <clears throat> as long as you're not going to like really the worst places, you know, even like then, if, you don't, man, if you don't mess with people, like they're probably not going to mess with you most of the time, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, like even then, like I've, you know, literally been to the worst places on the planet. And if you're there a short amount of time and like don't interact by the time people figure out like, oh, these dudes obviously aren't from here. Their immediate reaction isn't like, man, I'm going to go like do something to these people or like yeah. whatever. Typically. Yeah. I, w- I will say I did have to learn the hard way because like I was there for a little bit. Didn't have any issues happen to me. So I got a little too comfortable. And uh, my girlfriend was walking back one night. She went to get something to eat and she decided to walk back because we oh, live right yeah, in downtown. You told me about this. And uh, somebody ran up on her and pulled a gun on her. And so. Is that the first time that's happened to it's her? It's the first time that happened yeah. to her. So and, you uh, just like go everywhere with her now or what? Um, we just, we take Ubers. We don't yeah. really walk around at night. Now, sometimes I'm coming back from the city and like I'll walk at night, but for the most part with her and stuff like that, we take Ubers. We don't, we don't walk at night. So. You don't look like somebody that like is easy to mug though. You know, and, and you don't know, like if you're in a, a hoodie and sweatpants and all that coming out of the gym, like people don't know if you have a, a gun too or not, right? People are desperate though. So sometimes you don't know what people are. Oh, know. for sure. Yeah. There's always a chance of it. Um, doesn't have to be logical. 
But yeah. that is why I lift because I want to be a hard target. I don't want nobody. Or at least look easier like targets one. than me. Yeah. 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 So I'll get I'll get mugged when I'm hanging out with Mike. I'll be like, that one's big. That one's skinny. <laughs> Let's mug the skinny one. I'm like, Mike, help me. You probably run faster than Mike, though. That's true. Yeah. I'll run and leave yeah, Mike I'm there. 2.30 now, so moving is a little difficult. Yeah. You better hope a skinny dude doesn't chase you down with a gun. Yeah. He'll be winded and mugged. <laughs> but you know what? Once the summer hits, I'm going to join that stamina team, start getting back in you know, shape. Back down to fighting weight. Yeah. Do you? Are you going to ever box again, do you think? Step in the ring, or are you nah, just done? No, I'm right, done. done. There's no point. So I do have a goal, fitness goal. I'm trying to get – I want to get down to 205. I don't know if okay. that's going to happen. but You could do it. 15 pounds. When you're big, people treat you different. I will say that. Like going from 205 to 220, as soon as I hit 220, people just treat you different. Right. You know, it's like if you go to a gym and you're working out, um, like traveling to visit a gym, people like come talk like, to that you. That dude's big. You know, are you like, stronger now or did you basically I'm way just get stronger. bigger? I'm, I mean, I'm moving way more weight than I ever did. So yeah, it's crazy, but it's fun. Cool. You think you'll still move that weight when you're down at 205? Probably not. No. No. Do you see your speed change a lot though? Like I, when I'm 220, 215 or over, it's hard to run. Like like cardio just takes more work. And now yeah. I'm like 210 is is about like my floor now yeah. where I can still like I can run and I feel yeah. good. I'm just that good five or sprinting. ten pounds. Yeah, I'm like still changes. good at sprinting, but that yeah. long distance running, it's just not as fun. I think the thing for me is just it just lost fun. Like yeah. I like Right now, do you, I like. Do you box a lot, like hitting the mitts in the bag and all that? Yeah, like two, three, two times a week. So you're actually still training a little bit. You're not just like teaching. I would call it training. I'd call it in like getting 20 minutes before I coach while the kids are right. shadow boxing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but I like I do a lot of strength work, a lot of lifting. Nice, a lot of squatting. Squat three days a week. You're not on our programs right now, right? You're doing like a five through one type deal. Yeah, for right now. Just trying to get get large well it's more about consistency just because it's like i don't know why for whatever reason i just feel good doing more powerlifting stuff right now at this point in my life right and then um, you'll jump on stamina to yeah, lean so, out a little bit yeah cool good stuff yeah what about you man what are you goals goals, goals for 2018 who knows man my, my goal oh, i'm not gonna say it right now but um Get more involved with the... Just with, be cool. Yeah, I just want to be cool, man. No, I want to get more involved with people as far as like Softly actually being involved in our community and, and not only our community, but, you know, we have access to communities that other people don't. So, you know, we'll be we'll be doing some stuff that other people likely are, are not likely to do. Yeah. I'll say that for 2018. Well, we've definitely been talking a lot more about uh, getting out there and doing more stuff with the Softly community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, leading events. It's and Friends from the internet. It's not really events. That makes it sound like we're selling tickets to stuff. But No, it's like, hey, meet up. Let's go do some cool shit. Let's, let's do some cool shit with friends from the internet. Hashtag friends from the internet. Like Mike, but he's not a friend from the internet. He's a real friend. <laughs> Speaking of which, real I've, friend on I've the known internet. Mike since 2000. 12? Yeah, it was 2012. He still does not pronounce Softly correctly. I so like I, knew, I do I, Newark, he does Sofleet. I caught him catching himself yesterday. Was he correcting I'm himself? Yeah. I'm working on it. He's, he's like, he, I'll fix Newark when he fixes Sofleet. <laughs> All right. His goals for 2018. Yeah, that's my goal for 2018 is to be able to say Newark. All right. I we like we got to get some White Castle while I'm up there. Yeah. Oh man. Soggy bird. They're soggy though. They're not that good. Dude, they're disgusting. They're steamed. We used to, so in Delaware you always see like commercials for White Castle, but I don't yeah. think there is a White Castle in 
uh, Delaware, and I think the closest one when I was in high school was in Newark. It was we like definitely have them in Chicago. Yeah, it was Northern New Jersey was the closest one. So we we took a couple road trips to White Castle. I'm just hoping it just Keith. won't worth it. Forget White Castle. I hope you get is to see Keith, Keith. Is Keith scary looking or He's not really? He's pretty scary looking. He's a like 275 pound Dominican. Is he like buff or like big or both? He's, big. he's, he's not big. buff. He's like he's big though. Dude, big guys like that are hard to move. That's why they're always bouncers. Uh, like they're yeah. just immovable forces. Just yeah. a lot of a lot of mass. A lot of mass to move, man. He's big. <laughs> Super nice dude, or or yeah, not, no, not really nice like nice on the you, exterior. This is, and you're a prime example. I was telling Aaron this. Keith told me the reason he messes with me, right? He's like, the only reason I I'm gonna call it street credibility, but in his eyes, I have credibility with him, is because he says, Man. You have people come visit you all the time, right? People from like back in the day, people you went to college with, you know, acquaintances in the Marines. Yeah, you got like, them if all they're full. still messing with you, that means you must be a good dude. Because like people around here, if they don't got friends, if they don't got anybody come check on them, like I know to stay away from those guys because right. they're, they're like that for a reason. They're like escaping something. Yeah. They you know, snitch too much or something. So uh, do we have to wrap it up, Aaron? I don't think so. I think... Uh, <laughs> Nobody's waiting. No one's waiting for us. So, so Mike has, this is kind of, I was interested to hear Mike's goals for how are they, you know, how are they going to continue Ironbound and his boxing journey? Because in probably 2000, when did you get out of the Marine Corps? 14? 2015. So in 2014, Mike came to me because we would talk business plans all the time. Mike and I were going to write a book together, by the way. That was true. Never came to fruition. But, uh, so he came to me, he's like, man, I got this business plan. I'm like, all right, cool. What is it? He's like, so I want to open up like, you know, in the movies, those gyms in the ghettos where like the kids can go like box for free, you know, like rough neighborhood. And there's like the old dude that teaches them and he doesn't charge them. Like, that's what I want to do. And I was like, man, that sounds super cool. But like, who keeps the lights on in that place? You know, like that's not a business model, man. And he's like, no, like. So we were trying to fi- we tried to figure out the original idea was to open up like a normal not normal but like a like cardio boxing place basically right that like right. allowed you to operate this place that was in like a rougher neighborhood and teach you know kids that needed it how to do this. We've been talking about this a lot. And um, so Mike literally has his dream job now. He's got like Ironbound, he gets to keep the lights on and gets to teach inner city youth how to how to box, which is pretty amazing. So the fact that he was able to string that all together and like still can eat enough to stay 220 pounds is impressive. Hey man, you stay dedicated to your dreams. Right. Exactly. Make it happen one day after another. You gotta be smart about it though. Cause the thing is, you you knew it wasn't going to be day one, right? Like I know what I want to do. I got to figure out how to get there. Yeah. Um, and that was a part of the process. That's why I went to St. Benedict's because I knew I had an in in Newark. I went to coach boxing in the Northeast. So getting into St. Benedict's, I was like, okay, the very least I could put food on the table. Um, did they the, tell you you could do the boxing program right out of the gate? Yeah. That, they that was a prerequisite before I left. Okay. That right? was part of the deal. So, like, Hey, if I'm going to come here, you yeah. gotta let me teach boxing. Yeah. There was no formal sign or nothing. I was just like, I was, I was hit the headmaster up all the time. I was like, Hey, if I'm coming, can I do boxing program? You know, he's like, yeah, just come on. No sign paper, nothing. Just like, come on. So I just deals on a handshake, man. It's the way it should be done. Yeah. Yeah. Contracts keep honest people honest yeah. though. That's yeah. why we put the gym in a rec center though. Right. Because right. Was, how big is that place though? Can you do other stuff out of there if you have an ability? That rec center is huge. Is it? Um, it's like a giant, you know, like wood. It's like a hockey rink. There's a yeah, hockey rink there. It's like a yeah. skating. Yeah. I don't know. 
So the, the nice part is that like by putting the gym in a rec center, right? Um, now you can actually focus on the kids, right? You don't have to focus on keeping the lights on and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So I can what money I do have goes towards like registering the kids, taking them out to eat, things like that. Equipment, yeah. Instead of like keeping them feeding you know, them granola bars, instead of yeah. paying for the heat and electricity and all that kind of stuff that goes. Right. So. Paying coaches because yeah. it's all volunteer. Are you? Do you have space to do like jujitsu and like archery? Like, can you do like a full blown rec center so if you have funding and stuff? So originally that was a business model we wanted to go with, right? right. We're going to like expand what we have and have all these amazing offerings and be like the 21st century boys and girls club. Right. right. But like, obviously that causes all kind of like overhead and causes a lot of capital. Maybe, it's, maybe, especially if you yeah. want to take it outside of Newark. But it realized like, yo, what if, you know, you have a program already. We just need to get kids in there. Right. Figure out how to find right. so kids getting into We want to give kids basically gyms. that option. We just don't have to have it all in a central location. We want it to be more convenient for the kid, not convenient for us. Yep, for sure. It's hard to get that space, though. Having that space is huge, man. Having a, you know, a city-funded rec center, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Strategic, too. Like Newark. Newark's got a lot of kids. they got a lot of trouble. Yep. There's a lot yep. of going on there. So it's a lot easier for me to move into Newark and say, hey, I'm here to do good work. Like, get out of my way. Versus, you know, moving to the suburbs or somewhere that already has good money and stuff like that. They don't really need that. Yeah, I feel like options. places like Newark, Chicago, Detroit, they're like, please help. Like, we right. need something, yeah. you know? But people Rougher don't have cities. the... Well, nobody wants to get like people like the idea. Oh, man, that'd be great to go help that. And it's like, OK, well, like get in your car or get on a plane and go do it. And people just they don't want to do it. They don't want to be in that unsafe, unknown environment. Right. Well, that's what's awesome about Mike and Gary. I mean, and Gary could be living wherever he probably wants to be Gary living used to live in Tenafly, which is like a really, really ritzy suburb. I mean, like mink coats. Right. And um, but he do gave people still wear mink coats. Is that yeah. still a thing? That's Somewhere they must. Have you seen how cold it is in Newark right now? Yeah, I'll probably take a mink yeah. coat from some chick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I go to Newark to mug people. I, I do think that's one of our like Give competitive advantages is that we actually live in the community. Oh, 100%. And, uh, if, if I showed up tomorrow and I was like, I want to help, then we're like, man, get the hell out of here. You know yeah. what I mean? But so you got to have an end. So it's good. Not a lot of lessons learned. And the daily interaction is like somebody said, okay, um, well, how are you going to? Like people assume because these kids live in, you know, rough areas and don't have a lot of money that they don't have cell phones. Right. Like, no, people have cell phones. They have cell phones. They just don't have minutes. Yeah. But connect. They will connect to a hotspot. They all have Instagram, Snapchat. So like that's not a limiting factor for a kid. Like if you that's how, like you said, people thinking their mindset is like, oh, these kids are poor. They don't have phones. I'm like, you realize how important Snapchat is. To a teenager, like yeah. come on, no now. food, but he's got a phone. It's yeah, it's true. That's that's everywhere in the world. You'll go places where it's like, man, there's like literally no water to drink here, but you can make a four G phone call, yeah. like right away. So cool. All right, we want to wrap things up. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you by Softly. Thanks uh, to Mike Stedman for joining us today. Appreciate it. Can you, uh, yeah, let's. Plug your social media one more time. Plug. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Iron Mike Stedman. Um, and you can friend me on Facebook, Mike Stedman. I'm a pretty nice guy, so I'm not hard to find. If you're ever in Newark, please feel free to stop by the Ironbound Boxing Academy at 226 Rome Street, Newark, what's, New Jersey. What's the Ironbound social? Uh, Iron, it's at Ironbound Boxing. I'm sorry, at Ironbound USA is the Instagram. Um, and our website is ironboundusa.org. Sweet. You got to get that thing cleaned up. Like I know. You I'm going to clean up my plugs. Off the tongue. 
I just like to come in here and plug Softfleet. Soft, Softfleet. Soft That's what we're plugging. From Newark. Yeah. Perfect. Hey, look, 2018 goals. Check, Check it off the list. Off the list. Now I can go sleep. Thanks, guys. Thanks.